Come on, let's shout unto God with a voice of triumph. He's the king of the world. What an honor it is to be with each and every one of you guys, especially if you're brand new. My name is Jeremy, and along with my wife, Jennifer, we get the honor of being able to pastor here. And we're not just one campus. Uh, we meet here at our West Houston campus, but we're also in Katy. We're in Cyprus. We're at Cornerstone Campus. Thousands of people watching online around the world. Let's welcome all of them in. We're glad each and every person is with us. And last weekend, we launched a new series, and I want you to say the title to your neighbor. It's simply titled, Bring on the blessings. Turn to somebody and say, bring on the blessings. How many of you guys want a, you want a blessing in your life? You'd like to be blessed. Just raise your hand. That's, that's the vast majority of us. The people that aren't raising their hands are like, I just never raise my hands in church. That's okay. But all of us, all of us want to be blessed. Have you, ever, have you ever wanted to be good at something? There are things that I want to be good at. I want to be a good golfer. Notice it's a desire, not a reality. So, I mean, I appreciate the invitations to play golf you may not want to play golf with me like i have determined that playing golf for me is just fun okay it's not like a sport i'm not going to get i'm probably never going to be a great golfer simply because I, I get mad at stuff and i just had to release that anger and i get mad at things that i shouldn't be mad at like the ball like what is wrong with you why wouldn't you like if you don't if you pick your head up in the back so like when you're coming in the swing you pick your head up you miss the ball I know that because I've missed the ball before with people standing right. How do you miss a golf ball? Pick your head like you pick your head up like you're anticipating it's going to go there. And it's like sitting there just going, <laughs> I'm still here. And then I get mad at the club. You ever got mad at the club? You ever? Now, I've never thrown a golf club because I'm not that angry, but I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. There are men and possibly women in here who've thrown a golf club before, wrapped one around a tree, thrown it in a pond. Get mad at something that didn't do anything. Right. Because it's not the club's fault. It's not the ball's fault. Whose fault is it? It's yours. If the trajectory of the ball does not go where you want it to go, you don't actually need to look at the product. You need to look at the pattern. Because it's usually the swing that creates the problem. It's not the things that you use. And a lot of us look at our lives and we're mad at the things that we have and things that we don't have or what this person has when really it's the pattern of our life that produces what's going on in our life. Now, we find this in Scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of the world. So the world has a pattern that should not be the pattern of the church. It says, But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So it starts here before it shows up here. It starts here. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. But patterns are hard. Why? Because we see things that we want and automatically think that we can get them or that we can do them. I had some buddies a few years ago who started riding bicycles, like bicycle, like bikes, like grown men riding bikes. Like, hey, man, you want to go ride a bike? I was like, covered all of that when I was 10. I have a truck now. Like, I'll ride beside you guys. I'll give you like, I'll throw your waters. I got a truck. I'm good. But then after like six months, I noticed like they're getting in shape and they've got like the, they've got this camaraderie and they're all talking about bikes. And, and I was like, I kind of want to be in the neighborhood bike club. Like I want to be in the club, you know. And so they were like, hey, you want to go ride with us, Foster? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, we're doing a 30 mile ride on Saturday. You got this? I was like, I'm in. <laughs> 30 miles. Remember, I haven't done this since I was 10. OK, and I'm thinking like, hey, it's a bike. You just get on it and you ride for 30 miles. I had no idea the pain that I was in for. I said, what do I need? They said, well, first you need a bike 
And I was like, I'll get a bike. And so your boy went to a yard sale and got a bike because that's how I was raised. Like you want something, you go get something that somebody else don't want anymore. You get it super cheap. So I got the the heaviest bike in the industry. Um, and so I'm like, it's literally almost a motorcycle, like without the motor. So, um, and, and then they said, they said, look, you can't, and uh, this is horrible, but they were like, you can't, like, you can't neglect this part. You need to get a biking shirt and biking shorts. And I was like, all right, cool. And then I went to the store. Like, have y'all ever seen this stuff? It's like male Spanx. It's like Spanx for men. Like, I come out looking like the muffin man. Like, I'm like, hey, like the Michelin man's going to ride the bike today. Like, I look like an idiot. So I get on the bike. These dudes are all prepped. They've got, like, the most amazing equipment. Their, their stuff costs thousands of dollars. My stuff costs tens of dollars. <laughs> they had, like, little patches on their arms with, with paste in it. Like, so when they got hungry, apparently you get hungry on a bike ride. They get hungry. They just pull out paste. They're eating paste. I had a fanny pack with granola bars in it, okay? And like, I don't know, five or six miles into the ride, I realized I was in trouble. Um, I couldn't keep up. They were drafting. I don't know if you've ever ridden bikes or seen it in the Olympics. Like, they ride in a line, like, they, like you're in a line. And it's awesome to look at. It's really hard to do, okay? And so what happens is when it's your turn, like the, pe- the person in front of you moves back, and then the person in front of you moves back, and they just, you're drafting. So when it came my turn, I slowed us down. I was like, hey, we're going too fast anyway. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I need to renew my strength. We're going to slow down. So before too long, I hit the back of the pack and I just never caught up. Like I could not keep up. And they were like, they were like leaving a brother in Christ behind. They just took off. And I started going so slow that finally my bike fell over. Like I just literally, like my bike was like, I'm done. Boom. And you know, like gravity, man. Boom. And I, <laughs> I, I fell in somebody's yard and I just laid there. I was like, the grass feels so good. Like it was weird. But then I was like, all right, they're going 15 miles this way and 15 miles they're coming back. So they'll be back in like a couple of hours. Like 20 minutes later, here they come back. I was like, how did you do it so fast? And they were like, we didn't have you. You know, and uh, so, so I, I got on, I like, while I saw them in the distance, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch up. So I start going and they just, just came right by me. And I was like, thanks guys, leave no man behind. Never mind, you can't even hear me now. Um, but one of the guys who, was, who served for years in the United States military um, actually turned around. Thank God for the U.S. military. So, the, so pretty much an army ranger came back to save me. And, um, and I, I'm trying to ride. He's like, hey man, just stop, just stop. And I was like, why? He was like, because look at your back tire. It's almost all the way flat for miles. I didn't even know to check that. I was just like, it's gotten really, really, really hard. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? He said, because no one was behind you. No one could see it. I was like, that's cool. Just go get my truck. Who's smart now? You know, (laughs) but what I was trying to do, and this is what's funny. I was looking at what other people were doing and assuming that I could live at that level, even though I had not put in the pattern, not put in the practice. I was trying to produce a product that there was no way that I could produce. And some of us look at other people's lives. We look at the blessings in other people's lives and we say, I'd like to have that, but we don't want to do what it takes to actually get that. Oh, I'm preaching good right now. So this weekend, we're going to be looking at at a, a God view and a biblical view of finances. Now, last weekend, if you want to bring on the blessings, then you actually have to look at this. And last weekend, I introduced this concept that God wants you to be two things. And you find these principles all throughout the scriptures. He wants you to be two things. He wants you to be a generous giver, but he also wants you to be a good steward. You can't be one without the other. You can't just give, 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 and not manage what you have because it won't come back. I promise you. 
God won't put resources in a bag with holes in it. You have to actually manage it well. And we're going to talk about the principle of patterns. Now, when we talk about money in church, people get nervous. Like people are like, I'm sorry I invited you today. He usually doesn't talk about this. He'll talk about something later next week. So just don't worry about this. No, listen, God doesn't get nervous when he talks about money. Why? Because he's talking about your heart. Now, the challenge is a lot of preaching on this topic have been all about money. And I want to I want to walk softly here and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But this is not a prosperity message. This is not a prosperity kind of prosperity doctrine. And I, I don't have any stones to throw at other preachers. But the challenge with a lot of that type of preaching is, is it causes people to think that if I give, I'll get, 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 get. And that's what my life will be is all blessings, blessings, blessings. And then they, they begin to worship the blessings and not the blessor. And they start living their life. And this is a trick of the enemy. They start living their life between two masters, God and mammon. And mammon will try to, and mammon is a Syriac term for the God of riches. And the God of riches will try to imitate God. Think about it. Look at what the world worships. They worship the God of riches. If I have money, then I'll have love. I'll have joy. I'll have peace. I'll have patience. I'll have kindness. I'll have gentleness, goodness, long suffering, and self-control. No, no, friend. That's not the fruit of money. That's the fruit of the spirit. So if I spend time with the spirit, then those things will happen in my heart. I can have all the wealth and riches in the world and still be empty. It's not about money. It's about your heart. And we find this very clearly in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I said this last week, but I want you to get it. Monetary system doesn't matter to God. Like there's been a thousand monetary systems all throughout history or more. And that doesn't matter to God. He's not interested in money. Why? Because he already owns everything. The earth is his and the fullness thereof. That's what the Bible says. It's all his already. He's only interested in one thing. That's your heart. But he knows where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Your heart is tied to your investments. That's why whenever I preach about peace, people are like, yeah. I preach about love. They're like, oh, thank you for the love. I preach about mercy. Oh, I need your mercy. I preach about money. They're like, I need chapter and verse. I need chapter and verse. Nobody underlines the money scriptures in the Bible. Why do you think people get frustrated when we talk about money at church, like, why do we have to talk about money at church? Because it's a heart issue. And if you're frustrated right now, you're like, why are, you, why are we talking about this? I'm talking to you. Like, you need this probably more than anybody because it's attached to your heart. That's why we get frustrated about it. Now, listen, let's talk about patterns. We're going to talk about the patterns of the word. I'm going to get very practical today. You need to take notes today because if you'll employ some of the stuff that I'm going to give you, it will radically change your life. But the pattern of the world, think about this. The pattern of the world is it's okay to be broke because everybody's broke. Like, there are people right now who are like, amen, yes, yeah, I'm broke, like, and we, and we laugh about it. Like you find it, it's funny. It's a funny topic amongst people. Man, I'm broke. I'm broke too, you know. It's a funny topic. But the truth is, it is the pattern of the world is not working. Think about it. Most people are living paycheck to paycheck. They're in debt up to their eyeballs. But their Instagram looks like they're making all kind of money. Spend money they don't have to impress people they don't even like. They don't even know. Driving something you can't even afford. Rolling around in a Cadillac Escalade on $5 worth of gas. Knowing you can't, you can't, can't, can't even fill that thing up. I don't want to live that way. 
When I started, my very first car was a 1982 Ford F-100. It wasn't even an F-150. I didn't have money for the 50. It was a 100. I had to pray for that thing every week. I had to anoint it with oil about one quart every week because it had an oil leak, all right? If I got mad at you on the interstate, I just got in front of you and gassed it and just anointed your car. I was like, bless you right now. People are like, what is all, where's all this oil coming from? I was like, glory. That's what that is. The problem is nowadays we constantly compare ourselves to everybody else. This is a condition the sociologists call conspicuous consumption. What does that mean? It's a really big term that basically means I'll buy things that I don't even need to form an identity for myself because I don't know who I am. So I think if I drive one type of vehicle, it isolates me to being this type of person because that's how you judge people. You look at their Instagram and go, wow, look at that amazing vacation. You don't even know. They're just taking a picture in front of their screensaver. They ain't even at the beach. <laughs> Conspicuous consumption. Think about it. We define you by what you drive. I drive a truck because I'm a man. I drive an SUV because I'm a man with a family. I drive a minivan because I used to be a man and now I have it. Now I'm playing. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm playing. Come on. Minivans are awesome. Like the doors open when you press the buttons. It's like neat. It's not even transportation. It's identity formation. And this is a problem because now, according to the Wall Street Journal, 70% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. And that's not God's will for your life. 90% of people who get divorced say that money played a major role in their divorce. How does this happen and how do we fix it? If you're taking notes, write this down. Personal finance is about 80% behavior. It's about 80% behavior. It's how I behave in my life. And we, we have behavioral problems. How many of you have kids? You have kids. You never had to teach them how to be bad, did you? Nope. They just knew it. I had behavioral problems as a kid. I'm, I'm a pastor's kid and I had behavioral issues. I told you the story on Easter and I love it because it helps you understand how I was raised. I was raised in gospel church, like churchy church. We didn't have chairs in our church. We had pews. Come on, somebody. The anointing is in the pews, all right? And some of you are like, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean? We had church so long that I could, as a kid, I could get up under that pew and get a full nap and get out and still get about an hour's worth of sermon. Come on, Jesus. I remember I was about seven years old, probably maybe eight, and I was sleeping under the pew. My mom was out of town, so I'm, I'm conked out under the pew. My dad's up there preaching, and, and I noticed the guy in front of me, every time that my dad hit a good point, this guy would be like, hey, man, and he would kick his leg and kick me right in the head every time. And I was trying to dodge him, but he, hey, man, he kicked me right in the head. And I was like, this ain't the will of God. So I noticed that his shoes, he had wingtip lace-ups, and I noticed that they were separated. And, and Jesus prayed in the garden that men would dwell together. And I was like, this disunity is not God's will. So I'm going to unify these laces. And I tied them together. And the next time he stood up, he went, amen, ah, and fell over. The problem is we were in a gospel church. People didn't think he fell over. They thought he fell out. So they were like, yes, Lord. He was like, turn me loose. They were like, turn him loose, Jesus. Set me free. Set him free, Lord. This dude turned around and started punching me under the pew. My dad was like, leave that boy alone. And then he realized what had happened. And he was like, hey, hey, Jeremy, get out from under that pew. Now, you know you're in trouble when the pastor is calling you down from the microphone. He's like, get out from under that pew. And I was like, where do I go? He said, come up here on the platform. That's a, I was like, you going to beat me in front of like everybody? 
he was like sit right there and he pointed to one of those short pews remember the short pews that used to go on the platform the short pews like not the throne chairs we had the throne chairs too but i wasn't bishop status so i couldn't sit up there in the throne chairs with the father son and the holy spirit so i had to sit on the little short pew and he looked at me he said i'll take care of you when we get home i looked up the word care later on that ain't the right definition he should have said something different <laughs> he was he had to teach me okay if you're taking notes, write this down. You don't outgrow behavioral problems. You have to learn discipline. You have to learn discipline. And you can apply this to any area of your life. Think about it. If, when you want to lose weight, you want to get healthy, what do you have to do? You have to diet and exercise. God, please help somebody to invent a pill that we can just eat whatever we want and then take the pill at night. And it's like, <laughs> calories are gone. Like you wake up chiseled. Like what'd you eat yesterday? I had cake. Like what else? That's it. Just cake all day. But no, you got to eat salads. Yeah, I mean salads, salads. I have to eat salad. But you got to watch restaurants nowadays because like it's a salad. And like I'm eating salads. I've gotten fat on salads before. That's the truth. Your boys gained weight because I ate that Applebee's Oriental uh, chicken salad. Then I ate it all. It's like I felt good. But then I walked out like and I looked it up. It's 1,420 calories in that thing. Don't even get me on the quesadilla explosion salad at Chili's. That thing is an explosion. That's exactly what it is. Listen, you, you, can't, you can't live like that and hope that you get better. Same thing financially. So I'm going to give you five secrets. We're going to find them in the word of God that will help you bring on the blessings. The first one, very practical. Write a plan. Just write a plan. Spend it on paper before you overspend it in person. Write a plan. And now, now you may say, what is this thing right? Do I have to use a, a paper and the archaic pen? No, you can actually go on DaveRamsey.com or go on the app store and get you an app that helps you budget your life. This is scripture, Luke 14, 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? This is really, really smart. This is why we've asked you to write down the commitment, pray about the commitment for our silos campaign. And I'm fired up. That thing's going to affect every campus of our church. So I want to encourage every campus to get involved with that because God's going to do amazing things with that project. But we didn't just we're not just doing it overnight. We're counting the cost at every step of the way. And we want you to do the same thing. Think about your personal finances. If whoever you worked for or maybe even you're the boss, if whoever you worked for managed the company's finances, like you manage your finances, would they be fired? And somebody in the last service, the lady was like, yes. I was like, well, ma'am, ma just be honest with it. Amen. But this is the problem. We don't realize if I manage what I have well right now, God can bless me with more. This is a biblical principle. Matthew 25, 21. The master was full of praise. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You manage the small amount. Well, I don't have very much. Manage it well. Now, do you realize you can plant your way into a promotion? Some of us are trying to pray our way into a promotion, and I think prayer is important. I mean, we are nothing if we're not a praying church. But you can, you can plant your way into a promotion if you manage what you have right now really well. The reason God can't and won't bless some of us is we blow through a blessing and then blame our brokenness on God. It's important for us to understand this principle. You've got to write a plan. How many of you guys are married? Where are the married people at? Where are you at? Married people, look at you. Getting excited. We're married. All right? So communicate budgeting with your spouse. And I understand. Budget nights, fight night. I get that. I know. 
My wife and I look at budget differently, especially earlier in our marriage. I'm a faith guy. I'm like, God's going to come through. I'm filled with faith. And my wife's like, faith ain't going to feed us. I'm like, oh, you better read the Old Testament. The Lord sent the ravens to minister to the prophet. She was like, we don't need ravens. We need chicken. That's what we need. Like Chick-fil-A is what it's going to take money. Where'd all the single people at? Where the single people at? Where are you at? One of the greatest gifts at all of our camps, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your future spouse, obviously, is a prayer life and a healthy life, but it's also healthy finances because you don't want to just bring all of those bags into the marriage and you're in a city that is an easy place to, to, to live financially free. Think about all the Mexican food restaurants we have in this city right here. What does that mean? Free food. You go eat chips and salsa. Just tell them I'm looking at the menu. I'm just looking at the menu. 30 minutes and leave a tip and be like, God bless y'all. My friend never showed up. Don't, don't do that. That's don't do that. Don't do that. Some of y'all are like, Oh, that's where we going today. Table for 20, please. All we need is chips and salsa. Just keep it coming. Number one, write a plan. Number two, act your wage at your wage. Don't, don't live on more today than what you actually make. You realize you can't spend money you don't have. You ain't a member of Congress. <laughs> I'm just playing. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> That's funny. That's, if you're a member of Congress, I love you. I mean, come on. Come on. That was funny. <laughs> this is not easy. You have to have self-control. Okay? Well, develop self-control. You got to develop self-control. What does that mean? Get rid of impulse buys. I got to have it. I got to have it. I got to have it. We got to have it. We got to buy it now. We got to have it. I got to have it right now. Wait. If you've got to have it right now, wait. Force yourself to wait. We have a ton of salespeople that go to our church. They may not like what I'm getting ready to say, but they'll understand it. Salespeople, you understand, if they leave, more than likely you lose that sale. If they go away and say, we're going to talk about it and we're going to think about it, you're like, well, okay, but if you don't do it right now, I can't give you the 20% off. Oh, well, okay, we'll do it right now. Okay, it's, it's an impulse buy. Yeah, I get it now, but I have to pay for it later. Develop some self-control. When somebody's not acting their age, what, what's usually happening? They don't have any self-control. They're doing something crazy. Here's what the Bible says. This is a biblical principle. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. So write a plan. Act your wage. Number three, super important. This is all biblical principles, guys. Save money. Just save money. When you get a blessing, don't go out and spend it all. Like, oh, I got a bonus. It's gone. What happened to the bonus? It's gone. It's a, t it's a new TV. Did you need a new TV? I know, but they have one that curves now. I wanted the one that curves now. Why? So I could stand over here and watch it. Have you ever stood over there and watched it? No, but I could. <laughs> save money. Here's three ways to save money. Number one, save for an emergency. You're going to have rainy days. Life's going to get hard. The air conditioner's going to break. The car's going to break down. You need some money on the side. Well, that's really, really negative. Why don't you be positive? Okay, I'm positive the car's going to break down and, and it's going to be a rainy day. Save for that. Dave, Dave Ramsey says an emergency fund is three to six months of your expenses. And that's not vacation money. That's an emergency fund that you don't touch. You know why? Because it's for an emergency. Oh, this is good preaching. Number two, pay cash for things. Pay cash. Why? so hard. I know. That's why. Cash hurts when you spend it. When you have to count it out, you're looking at it, leaving your hand, and you're saying, I want you to stay. I mean, it's one of those moments. <laughs> MIT did a study, and they hooked up machines to people, and when they spend cash, it actually, it actually triggers the pain centers in your brain. But when you spend plastic, nothing. Flatline. 
So cut some of the cards up. That's good preaching. Number three, I really wish I had time to push this more. Uh, It is a very biblical principle. Invest for wealth building. How many guys are 35 and down? 35 and down, all campuses, raise your hand. Listen, look at me, look at me. This is so important. I wish that I had been more serious about this at a younger age. If you will save, I studied this. If you will put back $100 a month into a decent growth, uh, growth stock mutual fund in a Roth IRA or whatever, put that in just a decent rate of return at, at the age of 30, by the age of 70, $100 a month because of compounding interest at the age of 70 will be $1.176 million. It works if you store it up now. That's not even a lot of money. It's $100 a month. You spend that at Starbucks. You spend that at Whataburger, at Chick-fil-A. And I'm not preaching against Chick-fil-A, but you ain't got to go every day. Here's what the Bible says. Well, is it in the Bible to invest? Proverbs 21:20. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. This is a good word. Number four, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Debt is never talked about in this Bible as a good thing. It's always a curse. It's always a bad thing. You're always a slave. Your brother hates you. It's, it's all that stuff. And in fact, Proverbs 22 and seven says the borrower is slave to the lender. Think about this. What if you, what if you didn't have a car payment? You're like, ah, I could spend it on the flat screen TV that curves. No, no. What if you didn't have a house payment? Think about that. What if your student loans were gone? Mm, Glory. He's just going to do it. Probably not. It's going to take a debt snowball. It's going to take some time to get rid of that stuff. Why, Why do you get excited? Because then you don't serve two masters. Think about it. Jesus said, don't serve two masters. Why do you think they call it master card? I'm just saying that's like. That's not in the Bible, but I'm just trying to help you. Oh, I'm preaching good. The Forbes 400, this is the wealthiest people in North America. Here's what they say. The number one way to become wealthy is to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Well, if I made more money, no, 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 no. What you have now, start with what you have now. Well, how do I do that? Ease back on your level of living, chief. We ain't trying to impress people on Instagram. We're trying to, we're trying to build for what God has called us to do. Okay, so this is really important. Write a plan, act your wage, save money, get out of debt. Number five, give your tithes. Give your tithes. Now listen, this is important for you to understand. And I want you to understand the, the, the angle that we take on tithing. You'll never hear me get up and say, if you don't pay your tithes, you're going to bust hell wide open. Can I get today, man? I'm never going to do that. It's weird. Because we believe that tithing is a principle. Tithing is life not law. And you find it all throughout the Bible, the principle of tithing. Everybody say the principle of tithing. So I'm not beating you over the head with tithing, but I will show you kind of where you can find it. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 says, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. So here's the principle. Tithing is holy. Genesis 28, Jacob said, and this stone, which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth or a tithe to you. This is 400 years before the law. So tithing is a principle that we find throughout the scripture. Some people say, well, that was the old law. No, it's, a, it's an old principle. That we find all throughout the Bible. Now, people get real bent out of shape with tithing. Why do, we don't have to tithe. Okay, even if you don't. Let's just act like you don't have to tithe. Okay, it's no big deal. 
But why wouldn't you? Here's why. There's a promise. There is a, I can't preach this strong enough to you. There's a promise attached to tithing. And when you tithe and enact something in this word of God for your life, and the reason we have a smattering of hand claps is because not everybody tithes. And they don't know if they want to believe it or not. In fact, I've watched, I've watched many of you when I said, number five, give your tithes. <laughs> Literally, look around. People are like, mm, okay, sorry about that. He can see me, Martha. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. Let me, let me take this off the table. Listen, you don't even have to give here if you don't want to. In fact, if you can't give cheerfully, don't give here. Things you never hear a pastor say. But if you go here, sow where you go. Sow where you grow. Here's why. Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. I want you to know this. There's, two, there's a two-part blessing to this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, this is provision, and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. This is provision. Everybody say provision. So when I tithe, there is a promise of provision. Okay, now remember, this is not what's that. You can't just tithe and not manage your money well, Okay. So there's a promise of provision. Number uh, verse 11 is a, is a, is a back half of this promise. And I will, this is God. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. I'm telling you, when you tithe, it enacts a blessing that, that, that the economy can be failing and you can be blessed in the middle of a failing economy. Some of the biggest, I, I, I can't. I can't stress this to you enough. My wife and I, and I have not told all the services this, I probably should have. My wife and I decided that in, in 2007, we said, we're going to start tithing over and above 10%. We started tithing 20%. We said, Lord, we're just going to go over and above. 2008 was a really hard year for the United States of America. And it was one of the biggest blessing years we have ever received in our entire life. We had a contractor do more than $100,000 worth of remodel to our home and write it off. Like it was like, here, this is a gift. You talk about weeping and crying when everybody else was weeping and crying in a different way. We were weeping and crying and going, God, how could you even do this? Because when you are faithful to this, when everything else is being devoured, God will say, I'm going to rebuke that devourer and I'm going to protect what you have. I'm telling you, you can disagree with me, but I'm telling you it's in the word of God. You find it even in Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. And when you do this, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, don't miss the point in this verse of scripture. It's not, it's not honor the Lord with the first fruits and honor the Lord with giving so that you're, so that you'll be blessed, so that you'll be blessed. No, no, no. It all starts with the first word, honor the Lord. It's not about so that I'll be blessed. That's a back half blessing and I'm grateful for it. That's a bonus. I want to honor God. I want to say, God, all that I have is yours. And tithing, like it or not, is a test. It's a test. It means the tenth part. And ten represents testing in the scripture. How many plagues were there in Egypt? There were ten. You can say it out loud. There were ten. How many commandments were there? Ten. How many disciples were there? Not twelve. There was not ten. That was a joke. That was, I was just testing you. No, I want you to go back to, I want you to go back to Malachi. Here's what the Lord says that there bring all the time 310, bring all the ties into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now. Turn to your neighbor and say, try me. Try me. Turn to the one that you're a little bit more afraid of. The, the one on the other side and say, test me. 
Some of y'all didn't say it to anybody. You didn't say it to anybody. You're like, I'm not saying that. Why? Because it's an aggressive statement. What do you say? Test me. Test me and see if I won't. Try me, fool. Ain't nothing between you and me but air and opportunity. You feeling froggy jump? I talk a good game, but I got about 30 good seconds in me. That's it. And then I got to run. Or pop a cap and pray later. Um, Texas Church. This is the only place in the scripture where we are told, test me. It's the only place God said, please, please test me and see if I won't protect you and if I won't provide for you. Test me in this. So we don't have to pay. Well, why wouldn't you want to if it brings such a great blessing in your life? It tests your heart. Tithing tests your heart. People who don't tithe, people who don't tithe always say, well, I can't afford it. People who do tithe always say, man, I'm blessed. You can't know how blessed I am. There's a reason when I started talking about tithing, there was a smattering of hand claps. That's because people tithe, people that tithe know the blessing of when you tithe, what God can do in your life. It's the truth. So tithing is basically saying, God, I'm giving you first and I'm thanking you first for all of my increase. Tithing is the first part. It's the first. I'm going to give you first and then I'll give the rest. Tithing is redemptive. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Tithing is redemptive. It's a buyback. It's covering what you have. So when I give 10%, God blesses the other 90%. I'd rather have 90% blessed by God than 100% not. Tithing is saying thank you God first and not thank you Visa first. Or thank you mortgage company first. I'm not saying you don't pay them. You need to pay them. Remember all the other four points. But we give to God first. Why? Because Visa ain't never done nothing for me. The mortgage companies never accidentally sent me a check on purpose and said, hey, we just wanted to bless you. We just got to thinking about you this week and wondered how you were doing. And we just wanted to bless you. But I cannot tell you how many times that has happened in my life. When we tithe, God brings it back. God brings it back. I have eat. Listen, I was raised on this. When I was a kid, we didn't have any money in the house. But my parents taught us how to be faithful because they were faithful. We didn't have any money. And we, we, had, we only had uh, cans of vegetables. And I, I remember the meal. I don't remember, uh, I, I don't remember the circumstances because I didn't know my parents didn't bring home all the pain but we only had like green beans hominy and I don't remember what the other vegetable was and we had bacon bits that's all we had was bacon bits my dad looked down and said where's the beef like there was no there was no meat and my mom said we don't have anything and the very next day we, my brother and I were sent to school with no breakfast because we didn't have anything and that afternoon, my mother went out and checked the mail, and there was a check in the mail that some random pastor had sent to us that we didn't even know. And he said, God told me to do this. I promise you, when you sow into the kingdom, God will provide, and it'll come out of nowhere. You'll be like, how did that even happen? I'm, I'm not trying to blow smoke at you. I'm not, I'm not just preaching a prosperity message. Give all that you have to God. I've never said that. I, I never said give all your money. I want you to give your life, but God will rarely, he, he asked some people for it. And typically the people that I've talked to, in fact, every person I've ever talked to that God said, give everything you have, God exponentially blessed them. But I do not encourage you to do that unless God speaks to you. And I'd be like, I'm going to need to see an angel. <laughs> Manage it well. God's not asking for all. He's asking for a tenth part. And it blesses. Well, why, would, why does God want my money? He doesn't want your money. Uh, he wants your heart. But let's think about that statement. It's my money. Ah! It's mine. I worked hard. It's mine. Ah! It's really hard to get around this whole book right here, right? 
The book of James, chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, which there is no variation or shadow of turning. That means everything that you've got is from here, Him, and He was here before the Son. So everything that you see is His, and anything that you have, He provided for you already. It's already His. Well, I'll have to think about if I'm going to give it to Him or not. I'm going to have to think about that. Worked hard. It's mine. Um, who's, does anybody here have a nice truck, like a really nice truck? Okay, all right. All right, can you come up? Oh, that's Chad. All right, come on. Give Chad a great big hand. I just heard a voice in the darkness over here. Oh, yeah. I know your truck. I know the kind of truck you have. Um, can I borrow your keys for just a second? Thank you. He drives a Chevy Silverado, beautiful black truck. Is, how, what, what year is it? It's a 2018. It is beautiful. I mean, black rims. It is a fine ride. So if I asked you, hey, can I borrow your truck? What would you say? Absolutely. Thank you. Such, such a kind guy. I'm going to borrow it for two weeks. Okay. So I'll borrow his truck for two. <laughs> this is a joke. I'm just using this as an illustration. I'll borrow it for two weeks. Okay. I got house keys and everything in here, man. So two weeks, I borrow the truck. And after two weeks, I call him and say, hey, we want you and your wife to come over for dinner. My wife's going to cook for you. And we, we have something for you. So he's like, okay, cool. They're going to give us a thank you and whatever. And they give my truck back. So he comes over and uh, we feed him enchiladas. And we're all just sitting there and we're having a great time. And after it, we have red velvet tres leches because it's anointed. And we sit there and we eat. And then afterwards, I say, Chad, like my wife and I have been praying. And man, like I can't believe that we're going to do this, babe. This is crazy leap of faith. Um, We've really been praying about this, but uh, we feel led um, to give you this truck, man. We just, we want to give you that truck. God bless you, man. <laughs> you can go sit down. Thanks. Give Chad a great big hand. He's like, um, all right. It's a little weird. And that's exactly how some of us look at tithing. Like, I'm really going to think whether I'm going to give you back what's already yours. Everything that you have is already his. He gave it to you to steward. So why wouldn't you allow him in on it? Because when you allow him in on it, he blesses everything else that you have. It is a principle that is squarely in the scripture. Well, how do I do this? Second Corinthians nine, six. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. A lot of pastors stop right there. And remember, they teach give to get, give to get, give to get, give to get. I don't give to get. I give to honor God. I give to give. Notice, a lot of them don't read this next verse. You must each decide in your heart. Notice, it's not about what's in your hand. It's what's in your heart, how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure or in the sad videos or when the pastor makes you feel bad because somebody's got to keep the lights on in this place. None of that's scriptural. None of it's biblical. If you go to a church where they put a lot of pressure on you, run. Because they're probably not doing the other four things that I taught in this. They're probably not managing it well. It's important for us to manage it well. God loves a cheerful giver or a person who gives cheerfully. This is all about your heart. But when you do this, here's a promise. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, this is what I pray that our church is. They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't eat the seed. And then bread to eat. So notice seed comes first. Why do I have just a little bit? Because that's seed. you got to learn how to plant that. you got to learn how to save that. Then it will be multiplied into something more. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Not for you, in you. And that's how you go from being blessed to becoming a blessing. 
And when you trust God with your finances, God trusts you with more and you become a clearinghouse for blessings. And God sends you to somebody as the answer to their prayer. Well, I just still, I'm not, still not convinced because it's not in the New Testament and I find it in the Old Testament, it's fine, but it's the principle, I get it. We don't have to tithe. If Jesus told you to tithe, would you tithe? Good, okay, Matthew chapter 23. <laughs> Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes and I want you to notice what he says here. He says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Now notice, he says, these you ought to have done, the justice and the mercy and the faith, without leaving the others undone. So is it justice, mercy, and faith or tithe? It's yes. It's both and. I want you to notice what's happened in this generation. It's flipped. And they're really good at justice and mercy and faith, but not really good at trusting God with their finances. And he's saying, don't leave either one of them undone. Now, the justice, the mercy, and the faith are weightier matters because that has everything to do with others. But the tithe and the finances has a lot to do with your heart and who you're honoring. So I'm going to teach you a system real quick and then we'll close. It's simply sow, save, and spend. Sow 10% into the kingdom. Save 10%. This is so important that you do. Remember, generous giver, good steward, and then spend the other 80% wisely. The prophet walks up to a woman who, who has sons who have been placed in indentured servanthood simply because their father, who was a good man, he died and he had bad debt. And she told the prophet, she said, he, he's a good man. He loved God, but he had bad debts, which means you can be a good person and you can love God and still have bad debt. And when you die, you leave your family in a bind. And the creditor came to take her sons. Now, the prophet could have said, I pray down fire from heaven on the creditor. But that would have been against the word of God. Why? Because it was bad debt, but it was owed. And the prophet looked at her and said, what do you have in your house? And she said, I don't have anything, which is what most of us say. If I had more, I'd give more. I don't have anything. Well, she said, well, except a little jar of oil. And I was going to use that to just cook up last of what we had. I said, All I got is a little jar of oil. And he says, take that and pour it out into vessels. Get a whole bunch of vessels. Don't borrow just a few of them. Get a whole bunch. And she trusts God so she can either pour it out for her family or she can put a little into the kingdom and she puts it, pours it in to the future. She pours it into the, the lives of her sons and it won't stop and it keeps going. And it's a miracle because she trusted what God was saying. She trusted him and it poured out. And all of a sudden it's basically, she started a business and in that day it paid off the debt that she owed and set her free. So save spend. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Can I use you as an example? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to have you come up on the stage. I'm just going to have you come stand right here. So it's not a far walk for you. What's your name? Jennifer. Everybody give Jennifer a great big hand. <laughs> How long have you been coming to Hope City? This is actually my second time. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So Jennifer's second time to Hope City. Come right over here. Just come right over here. All right. So um, if you hold out your hand, I'm going to use, uh, we're going we're gonna to do this example together if you'll help me. Okay. So here we go. Um, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. How much is that? That's $200. Okay, so we taught the principle sow, save, and spend. So if I sow 10%, what is 10% of 200? 
20. Okay, so that's 20. So I'm going to sow uh, 10%. Don't give it to me. Let's, uh, is there an usher? Okay, right here. Usher right here. Okay, so you're going to put that in an envelope. Just give her an envelope. Put that in an envelope, okay? And then uh, later she'll come to you and get you to put your, well, she's sitting right beside you. That's perfect. She'll get you to put your name on it. So you can just put it in there. Sow 10%. Just put it right in there. Don't have to make it perfect. That's, that's great. Okay, and then she goes away. Okay, so then you take, you literally went away. That was awesome. You could have just stayed right there. Then she has a backpack on. She's like, I'm out. Um, then you, then you, so you sow 10%, and then you, that's the first 10. Then you save 10%. So 10%, okay. So now I want you to fold that up different, like a couple, okay. So yeah, I don't, I, want, I don't want you to get that confused with the other. That's the one you put away, okay. And then you keep the rest of it and spend it wisely, okay. That's yours, Jennifer. God bless you. You can have that. That's yours. Glad you're here. Welcome to church. Come on, blessings. Bless you. And there's a reason y'all are all clapping. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, right? It creates an excitement in you. And then others of y'all are like, I'm going to come to next service. I'm going to sit right up there in the front. I'll bind that spirit. All right. <laughs> so save, spend. It works. So I'm going to challenge you for the next 90 days. I want you to take the T90X challenge. Tithe 90 days. Watch God multiply. You won't, you won't get the t-shirt, but you will get a blessing. I promise God will change your life if you'll put him first. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each and every person under the sound of my voice. I pray that this weekend we would commit and say, Lord, this weekend we're committing to be faithful stewards of all that you give us. We'll sow it into your kingdom. We will manage it well. And we will trust you with all that we have because none of it is ours. It's all yours and we trust you with it. And there are those here under the sound of my voice at all of our campuses, watch it online. Maybe, maybe you need to put your faith in Christ. Maybe you need to prioritize God. You know he's not in the right priority in your life. And if that's you, here's what the Bible says. Acknowledge him and he will acknowledge you. In this one moment, you can put him in the right place. Nobody looking around, but if you know that's you, just put your hand up. Hands, hands, hands. Thank you. All over the place. Thank you. Hands. I want us to pray this prayer together. Every voice. Jesus, you're the only one who can save me. I believe you died on a cross and rose again on the third day to give me eternal life. So this life is not about here. It's about heaven. And trusting you. So forgive me of my sins. I'm tired of living my own way. I will trust you with my life. And I'm asking you Jesus. To be the Lord of my life. I receive your love. I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus name. Amen. Come on let's give him an ovation of worship. God give you.